I say this in the beginning of every show, very few shows I mean this more, and I am ecstatic to have the magnificent Martin Wilwork back on the podcast. Many of you have been asking me for over a million times, where's Martin, where's Martin, where's Martin? Ed, and uh, <clears throat> we finally found him. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where we found him, what he was doing, but we found him all I see. Brilliant to have you back, mate. How you doing, pal? <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't in any Mexican jail. Um, I'm alive. Uh, and, well, I'm alive. Part of, we were in jail. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay, mate. How are you doing, Phil? Uh, mate, absolutely ecstatic to have you back, to hear your voice again. Uh, for those of you who've been asking about uh, Martin, um, you know, I've talked a little bit about it on Twitter when I get asked. Um, people are asking, oh, just fall out, you know. Uh, me and Martin, not, nothing happened. We've stopped brothers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Martin is the godfather of my youngest daughter. Uh, we are brothers. We've always been brothers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Martin's employment status changed, so it just made it more difficult to coordinate doing these shows. But um, Martin, of course, is one of the uh, founders of BTP. He is someone that uh, will always have a permanent residence here. He has tenure here. He can come here and be on this podcast platform absolutely anytime. And uh, it is just brilliant to have him back, especially um, with United in the current predicament they are in. Uh, so much to talk about, mate. Um, but uh, first and foremost, uh, tell everyone what you've been up to, how how's things are going, how things are going. Uh, not been up so much, like like you said. Uh, just it, just the work situation changed a little bit, which made it difficult for me to to dedicate enough time uh, to do the podcast. I'm not someone who's in a half hour something. I don't want to come on and just spout a load of crap um, off the cuff just because to, to, to blast a pod out. I've somewhere. never had a problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give it the credit it deserved. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to join on a few more now moving forward again. So it's great yeah. to be back. Um, yeah, it's unfortunately uh, back at a time when, <laughs> well, I suppose it couldn't, couldn't get any worse. So, um, yeah, let's let's hope uh, with the with the new acquisition of Ten Hag, things can yeah. start up a little bit. One thing that hasn't changed, folks, is that uh, myself and Martin were still having our two-hour phone call through the week, the second United and everything that's been going on. Those never changed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't change. But, uh, but uh, it's great to have this man finally behind the microphone. And uh, as we said, so much to talk about. Uh, mate, first of all, like you said, Ten Hag, right? So we spent a significant part of the season looking at the negative, right? And it's very, very difficult to look back at United and look at everything that's happened this season and to find new words to describe what you've seen, to find a new angle to describe what you've seen, to say something different that hasn't already been said. And so, um, and I think in life, regardless of what it is, hope is absolutely vital, um, regardless of what it is. And when I look back at United, I said something at the weekend, maybe a bit unfair, on Gary Neville, <clears throat> but um, it started to irritate me a bit. And what I meant by that is, you know, I listened to Gary Neville's verbose criticism, and then I thought to myself, maybe that's how annoying I am to people, you know, because I'm so repetitive about such a, about what we see and about so many of the same things. And I don't think there's any value made anymore in looking back and saying this player hasn't been good enough, that player hasn't been good enough, this player didn't happen, that thing didn't happen. I mean, you know, they've put in two somewhat decent performances against Chelsea and Brentford since the last time we recorded, but I don't think there's any value anymore in saying this player's not good enough, that player's not good enough. These are things we already know. 
Um, I don't really think there's tremendous value in going over all the, uh, you know, reasons why, because we already know the reasons why. But one thing I do want to ask you about, um, because I think there maybe is so uh, probably fair criticism here, but um, I really don't think this is, um, you know, anywhere near anything at its biggest issues. And uh, uh, but Ranik's come in, and if you had to evaluate Ranik, mate, you would say that he has been a better director of football than a manager, if you want to call it that. And maybe that's what United needed more um, than a better manager. And yes, it would have been great to see him come in and improve United and possibly finish top four. But then the question comes, let's say he did do that. Would there have been a recognition from United behind the scenes that wholesale systemic changes need to be made? Well, it's an interesting one, Phil, to be honest, because you, you, you said there that you would you would suggest that he's, director of football-wise, he's done a better job than manager. I think that's a little unfair, too. I, I don't, personally, I, I find it very difficult to really judge what Ranić has actually done mm-hmm. to what ability. Uh-huh. Because, again, to, not wanting to beat a dead horse again, but... I, I I just don't I don't know these players I don't know what's what's going on inside there obviously it's not, it's not very good but it's difficult you hear so many so many different reports about players purposely not not following instruction you know obviously the leaks in the dressing room and again trying trying to keep it positive I know but I find it difficult to really really judge what he has actually done as as a manager baffling baffling formations just odd formations you know can criticize him for the same reasons people were criticizing Ollie with sticking by the same players mm-hmm. um, for, for a while so it, it is difficult but what you said there about if he would have been more of a success managerial coach wise tactician wise it makes me wonder I, I hadn't really put too much thought into it to be honest but it does really make me wonder knowing this ownership the the way we it was all very quiet and very uh, like the lack of transparency the whole time was he an interim manager was it was he was he really an interim manager at the, at the very start was it a interim manager with, with this two-year consultancy role that, that seems like it's way out way away from what we were led to believe it was going to be when the when the position actually started which was a hands-on two-year consulting role definitive it just kind of seemed to to waver from that, and all of a sudden he's got the Austrian job, and he's mm-hmm. going to be loosely affiliated with Man United, which some for myself, somewhat of a conflict of interest. I don't really know how that could work, but it, it's just really, really odd. But I do tend to agree, though, that if things would have gone more positively and we would have seen drastic improvement, and we would have got that top four, you wouldn't put it past this uh, this ownership model to say, okay, we're good. <laughs> and let's give him more time. And what investment would have happened mm. then? So it, it, the answer, and, and again, maybe in a big roundabout way, I'm at verbal diarrhea there, I guess, but I just don't know. But I find myself saying, I just don't know a hell of a lot with the, with this current United side, the current United setup from top to bottom. I just don't know what you're going to get from week, you know, from week to week. You don't know what's going to change, what's not going to change. 
what, what, I do know what's not going to change is that the the Glazers have still not been over here watching games, and Glazers still haven't followed mm. through with any with any promises they made a year ago after the uh, after the protests before the Liverpool game. Well, you bring up a good point, and that's a fair shout because I genuinely believe. So when Ranya came in after Watford, you know morale was at an all time low, and if you remember some of the things that he was saying at the time. There was, a, there, there was two things that stood out for me. Um, one, uh, when he was asked, is there a potential for you to take the job on a long-term basis, right? And he batted that question away. He didn't say no. What he said was, let's look at that at the end of the season. We'll, we'll worry about that at the end of the season. So clearly, in his mind, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a, 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 a closed door. There was a yeah. potential there. And I genuinely think if you look at what really got Solskjaer the job, it was the contrast between what went before and what was, right? It was the momentum, the mood, everything had changed from negative to positive, you know. Well, and, it, it was an, and, it, and it was an easy acquisition. It was an easy one well, to yeah, satisfy I mean, the fans too. Of course, but mate, I think um, if you looked at uh, what the Glazers are and, and Woodward AI was doing back then, so Mourinho was a departure from some mythical United way, if you like, right? Solskjaer ticked every box they dreamed of, right? And it was almost like they got it right by accident, right? They brought in this club legend on an interim basis. Um, all of a sudden, they are playing expansive attacking football. The mood's great. The fans are on side. The fans are singing Solskjaer's name. The optics are great. And all of a sudden, you know, Woodward they all sitting there going, we finally figured out how to be successful on the pitch with this model off the pitch. Yeah. And I totally understood when you're not a football person getting swept up in that emotion and saying, give him the job. I also agreed, Med, um, and you and I both did at the time, we felt that, you know, Solskjaer deserves an opportunity at taking the job. That was part also a reflection of how bad it had gotten under the Glazers and Woodward's tenureship, right? Because maybe if he had been successful in the interim years after Ferguson, we wouldn't have been as impressed by what Solskjaer had done. But because it had been so bad, right, it was hard to turn around and say, no, don't yeah, the give bar was, The bar was pretty low, wasn't right, it? Right, right, right. So, so, um, so, again, you know, I, I totally understood why they gave him the job. Um, and Ranić was in a similar situation in the sense that if he had have been able to lift the mood of the players, got United on the mat, got them playing well, got them winning games, and got them believing in Ranić, then I I think it would have been hard not to give him a job. Although I do think United um, would have learned a bit from the first um, uh, experience with Solskjaer. Now here's what I'm going to say, right? So anyone who's ever worked anywhere in their life will know that the person leaving gets blamed on everything, right? That's just human nature, right? So you need to have an opportunity right now, if you're Richard Arnold, right now to say, everything was Edward Woodward's fault without saying it, yep. right? And here's an opportunity for me to be a hero. Now, mate, we talked about this on the phone last night, and this is this is the, the Glazers, right? So think about it from a Glazer perspective, right? Putting the football structure in place is not complex, right? So, you know, we're not putting the neural uh, surgeon department together here, right? Uh, this is football. And if you've got money, 
you can have an Anzi McCatchko and get a good team together. If you've got money, you can get an RB Leipzig that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago, and now all of a sudden they're you know, competing in the Champions League. You can do this if you really want, right? So, United and I, uh, if the Glazers had turned around and said, we're going to modernise this football club, we're going to have a director of football, uh, we're going to have all these uh, football uh, structures in place, and we're still going to do what we do off the field. I still mm-hmm. believe this would have been cheaper to do, right? Because yeah. when you when you look at Liverpool, mate, there's nothing that Liverpool have done that was beyond United's reach financially. United could have had everything that Liverpool had, but they chose not to. Now, I can understand them saying, well, we can't match City. Fine, OK, but there's nothing that Liverpool are doing that couldn't have been done at United if they just made different decisions, right? So when I look at the Glazers, if they'd have put a football structure in place that delivered success on the pitch, Think about how much United would be worth. And you talked about this last night. So sort of stay yeah, in this. Yeah, I said they could have. They, 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 that's the stupid thing it's, about this whole yeah. thing. They could well, have. Yeah, you, elaborate on that, man, because you talked about this last night. Yeah, they. It's 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 really silly because, in my my opinion, they they if they would have managed this correctly, they could have made themselves just as much money as they're making now. The football club would be worth more. I worth more to sell, worth more to them. They could have had a modern football club. The training facilities could have been looked at properly. The the the, the, the ground that's in <laughs> the man complete disrepair at this point could have been could have been updated somewhat. Whether they you know whether they need new uh, knocking down and rebuilding or modernizing that's another story. But they could have done all these things with, with prioritizing football and the football structure in, in the club, making sure it is a football club. Mm-hmm. Not a business, a football club. Back to being a football club. The Glazers may not have been liked, but they certainly wouldn't be disliked. They would have been, uh, you know, the 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 fact that they're they're they're, they're not around. The, 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 you know, that wouldn't have it wouldn't have been an issue. The dividends wouldn't have been an issue because there was a way of doing this, and the amount of money United have wasted on. By by the wrong people making these decisions about football and what goes on, on the football side of things is it, it, astronomical. This could have all been done if managed correctly with the correct people doing the mm-hmm. correct jobs and the correct roles that they're supposed to be doing things. And, and I hate to say it, but like they do at City, like they do at Liverpool, they have the correct people in the correct roles. It was all that was all on United's mm-hmm. doorstep. It, it has been so mismanaged. And you know, I, I, the other thing I said to you know, was about Edward Wood marketing genius. I've, I've got zero experience in marketing. I can market Man United Football Club. Mm-hmm. If you're winning on the pitch and you've got a proper structure in place, the thing sells itself. So you're not know, selling a pot noodle in India. I, you know, I, I can do that. I sit on my laptop and and, and field calls all day long. So that, that, that's one of the most frustrating parts about this whole thing. It was all attainable. It was all achievable. Mm-hmm. They could have had. They could have had the cake. They could have eaten it too. They could have had both. But they, they so heavily prioritized the commercial side of it, the business side of it, their dividend side of it, that this is the state we're left in, and that's that's the, that's a really sad thing. Well, <clears throat> and look at that, man. You're right because um, if they hadn't got the football said right. Because there's a very clear correlation between two things that really uh, provoke protests. And they are, of course, uh, how United invest and how United are playing on the pitch. And 
when United don't invest properly and when they're not playing well on the pitch, it brings the Glazer ownership sharply into focus. If United were winning trophies, if they were playing exceptional football, nobody would be even talking about the Glazers. No. Right? They, they they would have made enough money to pay off the debt if they'd have wanted, which they probably wouldn't have. Their dividends would significantly increase. The value of that brand would be twice what it is now, right? And, you know, mate, <clears throat> the thing is, like, um, and I've said this so many times, what we see at Manchester United is obviously a direct consequence of how they want the football club to be run. And I, I, I the one part where I have a whole in my logic, right? Because with the Glazers, it's not difficult to predict what, they, what they're going to do, right? It's not difficult to predict how they're going to run the football club and all that. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. But I just don't understand the negligence. I don't understand how they're so comfortable with being absentee owners and letting these kids have unlimited pocket money and squander it. You know, I, I recognise that it's United's money, they have to pay it back. But this affects their profit. This affects how big their dividend is. This affects the value of the football club. This affects the value of the brand. It affects how much they get from sponsorships, right? It affects how much they have to pay players because now you are running out of reasons to get people to sign for your football club, right? So I look at this and I'm thinking, I, I just don't understand why they've allowed this to happen. So anyway, I think in some sense, the current predicament of football club, it helps because nine months is needed in a situation where they have no choice but to shred every single thing that um, that, that, that that they once done. And when Ralph Ranick is turning around and saying, we need 10 players, right? I mean, mm-hmm. here's the thing. That may be one of the most important things that Ralph Ranick has said during his time at Manchester United, right? Totally agree. And, and back at you, told me, sorry to interrupt there, but mm-hmm. back, back to your, your original, original question about ju- judging money. This is this is the major part. This is the part where we can we can truly judge and, and look at what he has done for the club. Man- managerial wise, coaching wise, I really don't know because I don't trust the players. And I don't sure. Trust the mm-hmm. This part of it, as you're about to say, is the key because this part he's got spot on. Mm-hmm. He has got well, absolutely spot on, and he's put him in a position now where it's it's outed. There's there's no more. Uh, you kind of get the feeling this is a little bit of a watershed moment here. And I think I've probably said that before. <laughs> so mm. I hope I'm right here. But it's gone so it's gone so badly wrong. And now it's so much more is out in the open from a from a player perspective and from the managerial side of it, from Raniak, the director of football, if you want to call him at this point, um, consultant. It's so much more is out of the open and in and, and, and its specifics. And it's, you know, this is how many players we need. This is how many players we've got to go. These are the players who, oh, he, he didn't want to play. Oh, sorry, he told me he didn't want to play. Oh, he told me he was sick. He said he's injured. He's not injured. He's... So there's a lot more, I feel, it's a little bit more, yes. slightly clearer picture than there has been before. And like you say with Richard Arnold, he he, he has a golden opportunity to be mm-hmm. to be the hero. And, and that is it. Like, if you're Richard Arnold, you know, whether, you know, you're culpable for what's gone before or not, doesn't really matter. What matters is no. here's an opportunity for you uh, to be a hero to Manchester United fans to immortalize yourself, right? And there's a common confusion me because people think oh, Manchester United fans loathe any attempt for the, of the club to monetize things. They don't, right? But 
you speak to most native funds, they don't care about the kids, they don't care about a lot of the sponsors, not there. what they care about is what that's the only thing that matters to the club. When that takes precedent over everything else, that's the issue, right? You know, we understand that business is part of football. We understand that monetization is part of football. It's about the balance, right? And so before we can get into judging the captain and crew or, you know, vessel, you have to make sure the vessel see worthy first, right? So Ralph Ranick may or may not be a bad captain and his crew may or may not be bad. But when you've got holes all over the boat, you can't evaluate them yet until mm-hmm. they get sealed and you're and, 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 and everything's apples to apples. So before we can get into judging the efficacy and quality of certain individuals, you know, we, what we're really doing is we're evaluating them circumstantially based on apples to apples with every coach in the Premier League. Okay, there's this squad. I mean, Ralph Ranick has is basically in a in this part of his job, it's identifying problems. He has had yep. no attempt to fix a problem. So none of these are his players. So to me, there's enough plausible deniability that not all of this is, that, that Ralph Ranick isn't responsible for what's happened. However, what I wanted to, to look at is mid. So. <clears throat> United, uh, when Ralph Rennick's talking about 10 players, right, to me that's more, it's almost symbolic more than anything else, right? But here's what I would be really irritated about, right, if I was behind the scenes at Manchester United or if I was the Glazers, right? You need a rebuild of 10, of 10 players, right? Which then makes me ask the question, what the fuck have you been doing for nine years? Yeah. How on earth do we need a whole new team? So you're telling me... And we're still identifying the positions that we have, by the way, supposedly have taken care of. Centre-back, so, centre-back, right-backs. How many forwards yeah. have we been through? How many right-backs? How many centre-backs? And the thing, so... And we still need a centre-back. Midfield exactly. still addressed. So, and you know, go on. So nine years later, a billion pounds spent, billion circa, billion pounds, and there isn't a single player, right, with the exception of the goalkeeper, who, by the way, was signed... Pre, right? There was an Alex Ferguson signing. So you're telling me during the Woodward Richard Arnold tenure, there hasn't been a single player, there isn't a single player worth keeping? Maybe you want to look at what you're building on, right? If you're asking me to, here, here's another rebuild. Yeah, but here's the thing. If you're asking me to come in and build your houses on the ocean, right, we're going to keep building. And so we get a solid foundation, right? That's actually capable of supporting what we're trying to build. That, by the way, is not a foundation that shifts based on the mood, based on, you know, uh, some automaticities of the particular people on the football club. This is a unbreakable foundation that will not be compromised, that is not subject to change, that is fixed, firm, hermetically seamed, and Everything is geared towards that. Until we get that, until we have a, a solid foundation to build on, then, you know, it's going to be no surprise that these things fall over I know, it, it, because they're not being built on anything solid. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not a philosopher, so I have crap metaphors, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? And so for me, I think uh, when, you, when United are bringing, United need to recognize first and foremost before we can ask anyone to build us something, we have to provide that builder with a solid foundation. And they keep forgetting that part. Yeah, I, 
I'm just trying. I'm just trying to get my head around. Get my head around these transfers. I'm. I'm. I was just looking here from when it began. Fellaini gone. One matter. Never really used properly in my in my in my opinion. Then you're looking at Ander Herrera gone. Luke Shaw twenty seven million. Okay, still a club. Angel De Maria, Daily Blin, Radamel Falcao. Fourth season, you look at Damian, Depay, Schneiderlin, Schweinsteiger, Sergio Romero, Martial. Take your pick of how many of them are still around. You, you, Eric Bailly is about to go. Zlatan, you can argue whether he was a success. I guess he was a success, but again, you get a couple of years out of him, right? And it's, it's, he had too late in his career. Mkhitaryan, flop. Lukaku. Lindelof, Matic, Alexis Sanchez, Diogo Dalo, Fred, Lee Grant, Dan James, Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Fernandez, Igalo. Uh, it, it's just the, the list goes on. I mean, Cavani, Van der Beek, Tellers, Palestri, Traore. I mean, the amount, the amount of money on spent on players who are not even who are not even longer there. So we can talk about. What the fuck have they been doing for all this? Time? But they're even replacing the players that they bought. So, so it's, it's, they're not—they're not even getting it wrong once. <laughs> well, they're then getting rid of the players that they already bought. M- meanwhile, we—meanwhile, how many of that—that that, that squad is still? I mean, look at—look at the players that, that that are on the periphery, that are on the fringe, that are on 100, 150 grand a week, mm-hmm. and and you wonder why you can't get rid of them. They wonder people. Oh, well, you know. You wonder why you can't? Oh, why are you give them new contract? You know why you give them new contracts? It's cheaper to keep them. You can't Always get rid of them. Always been that way, man. You can't, you can't get rid of them. Way. So we're in a situation where, yeah, we, we, realistically, probably it probably is, to, you know, ten. But look, let, 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 let's be honest. How many do you think are going to come in this window, in, in the summer window? Let, let, let's, let's be brutally honest. So because because how many are going out? We we know for sure. We know for sure of six. Right, is that right? About six that are different. Yeah, so so somewhere around that number, right? Right. So six, six, and that, that's I think that's six, pretty much confirmed. Mm. So that that's not including the likes of Bay Jones, Henderson. Um, if one Bissaka, I mean, they've reported interest in one Bissaka. Obviously, uh, it's not including Ronaldo, um, and that and that's not including Martial. You know. My my opinion, we're going to be kind of stuck with Martial, whether we like it or not. I don't think we're going to bring enough, be able to bring enough players in where we can. Where more are we going to do with him? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we certainly don't want him again. So we're in a situation where we already on with what we had, what what we have, it needs about ten players bringing him. We're well, also going to lose about six to ten. So we needed about this, four this five is going to be, before we lost the six anyway. So correct, correct. So exactly, exactly. My, that's exactly my point. So, but you talk about budget. Who know? Who knows what the budget's going to be? I mean, who knows if they're going to spunk it all on on one player? You know, uh, anyway, and then and then everything else gets left behind. So, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit too. In, in what what it what is the best way forward now? Is it to go after the top tier, or how far can you get? Again, continuing to buy B and C level talent because you're spreading it around, but we're continually chasing our tail. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so many positions need need fulfilling. We go we go a quarter of the way or a third of the way there, and then fill it with a couple of 
you know, a couple of kids or a couple of prospects or a couple of you know, one year, two year stop gaps, but it never gets done. There's, there's never be, there's never a rebuild. It's they go some of the way there, but the, and then by the time the next year comes around, well, there's another couple of pieces that that, that need replacing anyway. So mm. you've never replaced what you wanted to replace in the start, and there's no way they're going to sanction five, six top top level players nope. coming in this summer. There's no chance. And that, that's what concerns me. So you're going to be looking at the likes of what, what's going to go on with Palestri, what's going to go on with Ahmad Diallo, who's been a flop in, in there, what's going to go on with Martial. Obviously, Greenwood should never play. Oh, sorry, I won't say should never play for the club again, but will probably never play for the club again. Um, I don't want to touch that subject right now. But um, if you know, who, who else? Van der Beek. What's going to go on with? What's going to go on with? I mean, Donny's clearly going to get. A, he's going to get his opportunity under under Ten Hag. And by the way, if he doesn't take his opportunity under Ten Hag, can we put that one to bed? That he's not well, I mean, <laughs> if anybody knows him well, he's we're going to be having so, this conversation in 2040 that some there's going to be a manager coming and it's going to get the best out of him. Like, I mean, how long so, do you get? But him? I mean, he's, he's going to have his opportunity, right? So no matter. So forget what I, I. I was of the opinion that yes, he, he probably didn't get as much time as, as he. But but there's a reason for that because a couple of different managers had the same thing, and you know. He clearly wasn't tearing up trees in training, was he? You don't get rid of him, yeah. or he would have been on the pitch. And, and the minutes he did, he, he, was, he was bang average at best. So he's going to have his opportunity. So for clean slate for him, maybe that's what he needs. Clean slate, he's desperately what's needed for Marcus Rashford, I'll tell you that. Because Rashford's in a, in a precarious position here where if he doesn't pull something out here, and again, it could be that right time for him because he's in severe jeopardy of, of his career just going in a complete tailspin, worse than it is now. I don't know if he'll even get an English call for the World Cup at this point. Well, look, there's a number of things here. <clears throat> what I expect is, given United's needs, um, first of all, quite rightly, uh, the idea that United are going to go out and spend a couple of hundred million this summer is just pure fantasy, right? I mean, it's just well, not... Well, depending on who... If, if, if they do offload... The, I mean, the, the, the problem is that the people that potentially could bring in some funds. Uh, buy, I mean, how much are you going to get for a buy? And buy can complain all he wants, by the way, but the, the, the guy can't stay fit for a month. It's so it's, you know, it's difficult, it's difficult to, to put you put, put a trust in you. Look, he's always got a mistake in him anyway. I, I love buy. I, I, I do love the physicality. I love his personality. I love the character there, but he can't stay fit. You know, you, you can't rely on that. Uh, you know, they bring in Varane. Varane's not been able to stay fit. You know, so so how much are you going to get for Bay? If one Bissaka goes, you certainly ain't getting the fifty million back for him. Uh, if, if, if they decide they want to, if they want to move him on, well, yeah. then you, the, the, the Alex Alex Tellers, people like that. I mean, you know, you're not going to get anything for him. Just, do, do you know, really don't have anything there worth anything. Henderson, twenty five thirty million, you might be able to get for him. But I mean, then again, you, you talk about a rebuild. David Gea, 100% has, has pulled us out of the crap time and time again. But if you're starting a true rebuild, should you be starting a rebuild? Then this is the problem. Now. You, you can, because there's so many areas that need addressing, you don't really want goalkeeper to be another one. I mean, silly to bring back Henderson. I mean, Henderson's either going to be out on loan or, or sold in the summer. You know, so let's be honest. But if you're starting a true rebuild and, and turn out with, with the style of football he wants to play, then you start with Henderson. Or you live with it and live with the hair, whose distribution is poor at best. Well, <clears throat> is Henderson worth more today than when he was a year ago? Well, absolutely not, because he's he's not touched the ball, has he? 
Okay, so it should have been sold a year ago. I said, you and I said in this podcast. Well, you either go with him or or, or, or you don't bother. It, it was time you had, you had to commit to one. You had to commit one way or the other, and we didn't. Yeah, we said on this podcast um, two years ago that at the end of the season, we would make a decision on whether De Gea was the number one or Henderson was the number one, given considering how much they're making between the two of them, uh, considering that neither of them can see themselves as a number two, um, and considering that um, when you have a player like Dean Henderson sitting on the sideline, uh, not getting chances, then we all know what that leads to with regards to uh, leaks and everything else. So Dean Henderson should have been sold a year ago. Uh, and uh, bring in Tom Heaton as a number two, no problems. De Gea is almost never injured. Um, <clears throat> so that should have happened. When you look at uh, United's needs, uh, the fact that there's almost certainly they're not going to spend a couple of hundred million. So they've got a couple of choices. Um, they need world-class talent in particular positions. The problem is world-class talent costs a lot of money that United don't have. So let's say they say that Ten Hag, here's 150 million. Paul, I need 150 million for a striker. All right. Yeah. So when you've got Manchester City signing uh, Holland and Julian Alvarez, you've got Real Madrid signing Mbappe. Good thing Real Madrid didn't turn around and say, hey, that Eden Hazard signing didn't work out. So we're done with those high profile signings. We're going to go back signing the uh, young players somehow. They, I don't know high on earth that happened as a narrative as if young players come to United and work out, you know, because we're better at that center. Really? How many young players in United and come there and work out? I don't see, you know, so, so, you're, so Real Madrid didn't turn around and say, hey, yeah, that Eden Hazard center didn't quite work out, so uh, we're not going to send Mbappe. Uh, they uh, have sent, they're about to send uh, Chiamani, uh, St. Camavinga last summer. Uh, I mean, mate, their squad signings are our dream signings. Uh, they're signing... Uh, Camavinga, who was absolutely wonderful yesterday, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they're signing uh, 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 Rudiger on free. Um, and so um, this is a team, by the way, 12 months ago, we were told, because due to COVID, um, uh, they just don't have the money, so it's yep. going to be a relatively modest yeah, summer. That was here it. we we're are. Signing players of the calibre that uh, we could only dream of. So... Um, and I once again about to, on the verge of winning their fourteenth European Cup and have already signed a couple of high profile players. Manchester United on their hand have been linked with Sebastian Haller and Tommy Abraham. So we're just going to threaten the life out <laughs> of the team for Tommy Abraham and Sebastian Haller. You know, I'm sure, you know, that's just gonna send shivers that's our, our very own Sean Goder um will be just uh, threatening teams and then we're you know Feed the goat. Feed the Kareem goal. What does Kareem Adeyemi, uh, Jude Bellingham, and Erling Haaland got in common? They all turned United for Richard Orman. Uh, so anyway, um, if that's uh, true, but um, again, you know, I'm looking at potential strikers. You know, other than Darwin Nunez, I really don't see anyone else that I would get excited about. You know, that's out there, that's available. No. You know, and you know. When I look at the, we're sitting there, we're saying, yeah, United are going to catch Man City when they're sending Holland and United are sending Holler. I mean, Holler is the, the the wish version of Holland. I, I mean, I'm sorry, if that ends up happening, yeah, I will be devastated because. I'd rather go and sign Mitrovic. 
Well, it's just an acknowledgement of where United are at. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, this is this. I, I, I don't care. I'm sorry. Uh, and then Calvin Phillips. So the only reason why Calvin Phillips would be a consideration is because United uh, want a cheaper version of Declan Rice. Well, Rice. And yeah. this is the problem. So do you spend your money on two or three top level players? And I'm being generous at two or three. Right. Or do you stretch it out by six, five or six on young players? Right. So when you clearly this is the problem with two or three model men. Right. So if you go out and get two or three players, United are, will improve, but nowhere near a title winning team. Nowhere near. And by the time you get to address the other positions, you now have new problems. Right. Because yep, you didn't need yep, a right back saying. last summer, but now you need a right back this summer. This is why I think yep. Jimmy Garner and what have you will be brought back. Well, they'll get the, yeah, they'll get they'll get a, they'll get a fair crack. They'll, they'll, they'll certainly get a fair crack at it on, on the Tanaian. But he's, he, the, the the sad thing is, he, they may be in a position where uh, he might not be ready. But hey, we don't have anybody else. So, so there we it, are, man. This is so, the legacy so, of a nine-year right. tenure. And that three, that 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 two or three. You know, player structure that that model right there that only works if you're doing that every window and you're um, and you're targeting the correct areas every time, and you're getting the right players in in the right areas every time. Not there's one here and then now oh, we you know hey, conveniently we're going to change manager at this time of year, so there's going to be no transfers there in the in the winter break there. Um, I have no issue with them not selling players in January. No, no, no. Balance, this, but... this, this time, this time I did. This time I did. But I'm just saying, there's, there's a lot of convenience causing. You know, the, the timing of a lot of things. You know, and 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 the vanity signings. You know, the, the, the Maguire one. Look, it's not Maguire's fault. He's played eighty million. By the way, do you know why he cost eighty million? <laughs> you know why? But we dragged our feet so long. And when did we sign him? But we signed him when we got the Lukaku money sorted out. Uh, you know, were offered him a year, mm-hmm. it was a year or so before that for half that, and they turned it down. Um, so, but you know, for me, mate, um, I uh, I, I think it's going to be really and it's going to be an unbearable summer because you're going to be linked with every player, you can imagine. Um, I noticed they're being linked with a Milinkovic Savage, so I think that is where United's peak will be the around 50 60 million mark, right? So, I could see them signing two midfielders. At the so what I could see United doing right is sending two midfielders around the 50 60 million mark, right? Sending a striker, right? And then possibly sending another one who's about to be out of contract somewhere, uh, that kicks the can down the road. So, all right, we'll do like a Cavani type thing where that tides us over for a year or two and then we'll address that next season, right? That's what I can see happening. Um, whether United, uh, but of course, there's other positions that uh, are badly needed in defence and everywhere else. Um, uh, the right, the right back position, desperately needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, 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 I don't know. It's uh, well, but I mean, so many needs. Realistically, but but I mean, you can get by with Luke Shaw. To tell it, tell us isn't good enough. You know, to tell us is just not good enough. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, and. Uh, <laughs> The, the center of midfield the desperately, but the you only know, I almost think you, you needed a you needed a, uh, a you needed a striker anyway, and now get you know now you lose Cavani, you really need two. 
you know, well, there's going to be there's going to be like I said, a lot of these players coming back up, back off loan are, are going to be considered signings. The likes of Garner um, to Mengi, um, you're going to see more time from them. You, you're going to be looking at um, the, the likes of the young, the even younger ones, the Iqbal Shortiri. Um, that's what you'd have to rely on next season. I'm just going to, if you needed to turn around and say, there'll be a fair few of them are in the, are in the, are in the permanent match day squad. Well, if you needed to turn around and, and saying, we're going to move, first of all, I, I hear this all, play the kids, play the kids, play the kids. If you remember, and, and I know hey. we got to go here in a minute, man. Um, hey. um, I know we got to wrap this up, but um, if you remember uh, back in 1989, Ferguson refused to play the kids in the FA Cup because of, uh, didn't want to ruin careers. The gap between the uh, under-23s Premier League is absolutely massive. Uh, which is why those loan deals are so important to the championship for a year or two and then get ready for the Premier League. And even then, we're not sure. Jimmy Garner will no doubt have benefited immensely from being in the championship. Uh, whether these kids are ready or not, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, that, yeah, I, I was, I don't know if you remember, I, I was pretty heated on, on, on my on my stance on that. I see it all the time. I, I don't like that. I'll play the kids the rest of the way and it's not fair on them. Don't, don't tarnish them. Don't, yeah, don't no, it's scar not them. With, them don't man. scar them with this crap and Mm-mm. let them go in there and, and you know and, and suffering this. No, no, they bring them through at the right time with proper, true, experienced professionals, proper professionals around them to guide them. Don't don't ruin them before they started. Man, you know, you know I, I don't mind. I don't mind one or two. You know, and they start in the last three or four games, one or two coming through and playing playing significant minutes. But this play all the kids thing. That, that that's just silly. That that that's that's you know it's just a stupid mentality to look at it. You know it's just all in Britain. You know uh, it, it sounds like a good idea, but oh, when you nice. really think when you really think about it, you want to protect those players, and that could because that could well be the future of Man United. Well, and don't don't ruin him before they start. Let's give him a proper opportunity. You know. Especially back then, there was no social media, so even they they were even protected back then. Today, you know, you need only ask Anthony Alanga when he misses a penalty. To find out what why United fans abuse young kids. These kids come out from the academy, play one per game, they're trash, get abused, get racial abuse, get all sorts of nonsense from absolute spanners, idiots, arseholes to a man, every single one of these idiots, right? I mean, I've still got, I could turn around and say, hi, good morning. And someone on my timeline will turn around and say, oh, <laughs> bet you would bet you said that the Ollie nine months ago. How was me? I was on I worry about you. <laughs> no, these are people yeah. that, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here with my daughter. Yeah, well, maybe if you hadn't backed Ollie nine months ago, you, you scumbag. It's incredible. Absolute weirdo. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, yep. folks, brilliant to have you back, Martino. Uh, Great to uh, be we'll back. Be back. I look, forward, look forward to doing some more. Back in next week with another show. And, yep. and, uh, Lots more stuff up and coming um, and uh, a couple of United player interviews I'll have uh, before the end of the season. Looking forward to that. Martino, all I the promise, best. Uh, I promise I'll be back next week unless the uh, overall opinion is that you don't want me back. So. Uh, no, no, no. It's always <laughs> yes, yeah. back, man. All, all right, right, mate. You know.